We have all been chosen to live a life of victory. This podcast is based around myself, Danny, and my husband, Jordan, bringing you a word about how you can live a life of victory. We are bringing you a fresh revelation from God to walk in the spirit of faith, living out the victory that has been set before you. Welcome back to this week's episode of Victorious. Me and Jordan are going to um, take a brief pause from doing um, the episodes on authority and identity for uh, this time of year. It is the day before Palm Sunday, which many people um, would call the start of the Holy Week. And so we're going to take um, the next two weeks to really focus on this. I remember one time Jordan said um, in in a service that Easter is our Super Bowl. It's really when us as Christians had the overwhelming victory. Mm-hmm. And um, that's absolutely true. And I think a lot of times also we overlook everything that's encompassed in what happened in the week leading up to... Uh, Easter and the week leading up to um, what was done before the cross and what was done uh, before the resurrection. And I don't think it's something that we have to um, be sorrowful about or have to um, necessarily mourn and weep over, but it's definitely something that our lives can be enriched if we focus on and look at everything that was done for us. Yeah. Um, in the last couple of weeks, Jordan and I have had some assignments um, with our church where we've dug deeper into a few um, of the events that happened. And as we were sharing with one another, it just reminded me of how much Jesus had done in this week and how much had happened in this week in order to transition us to a place of the new covenant. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that um, we have to look at is that all of the covenants that were made prior to Jesus coming, Jesus came to fulfill all of those covenants. Jesus was the promise. Jesus was the one who came and and made sure that those things came to pass. Yeah, it's amazing to see um, throughout, I mean, starting even in Genesis, I mean, God was already working on a redemptive plan. Um, you know, all the way back from Adam and Eve. I mean, things just point and uh, foreshadow um, the Savior and the need of a Savior and the coming of Jesus. Absolutely. And restoring us back to who we were in the garden. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, and that's, that's really what we're going to talk about today, is talking about um, how the covenants were fulfilled. And... And we look back at, at Moses and David and Noah and Abraham, um, the the men that God made covenant with, and almost get um, envious. I'm not sure if that's the right word. But what was it like to be them when the truth was every single one of them was a stepping stone so that Jesus could come 
and put you back in the place that you're in today as a born-again believer. And when you grasp how, how deep and how powerful that is, you know, David said to be in the time that we're in now, the time of salvation. And why is that? Because the door has been opened to us that we could be restored back to the place of the garden. And while um, while the world around us doesn't look as perfect and peaceful maybe as it did in the garden, um, our restoration back to, um, I heard Brother Copeland and Greg Stevens call it the light line, has been put back to the same place. And so um, in, in the garden, Adam named each and every animal. And he did that as, as a co-laborer with the Creator. He was able to speak and tend to the garden with his words. He was able to speak and create just as God did because he created us to be in the likeness of him. And that word actually means in the same vocation as him. So each of the covenants that was made after Adam was to bring us back to a restoration plan to get us to this place, to get us to where Jesus could come and get mankind to be back to who he had originally created us to be. And we see that through the life of Jesus. We see all the things he walked out just in this week um, where it really began to transition um, and then fulfill the restoration of bringing man back to who he originally was. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, a few of those things that we see is, um, of course, the ministry of Jesus does not go without notice. And this one week is not when everything came to pass. But we really need to take when um, in, the, in the beginning of his ministry, the three years he had, he was seen deeply as teacher, right? Right. mainly as teacher. Maybe those who were real close to them recognized him as Messiah, but um, there was a, a understanding that he was a teacher, and mm-hmm. he was bringing them to a place where they would then recognize him as Messiah. And so when he's making the triumphant entry, when he's going into that place, it's no longer them observing him as teacher, but now they're observing him as Messiah. Yep. They're observing him as the one who is going to come and going to uh, restore um, the kingdom to the Jews. And they they see it that he's going to restore it in a natural realm. In a natural, yeah. But all of these steps he's taking is for that spiritual restoration to get us back to the, to the same authority we had when we were in the garden. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, Every everything that he does in this week is a complete transition point, I believe, to get us from where we were as fallen man to what we'll get to next week, where we are now as resurrected man. Mm. So Jesus walks into this place um, of the, the triumphant entry, that's what they call it, and he comes in on a new cult, a cult that's never been sat on, which has great significance because he's signifying that this is something that hasn't been before. It is a new creation. Mm-hmm. And and that's what we're walking into, where we're no longer the fallen man, but we're st- stepping into a place of a new creation. And we see in John 12, 20, um, this was not left out by, or uh, this was not put in by 
accident. But we see that Jesus recognizes that there are certain Greeks or non-covenant people who are attending the feast to celebrate. And when he sees that these people who are not recognized as covenant people, right? At this point, they were strangers to the covenant is what Ephesians calls them. And uh, these people who were strangers to the covenant are now coming to recognize the feast of, of Passover. And so when he sees this, he recognizes my hour has come. Mm-hmm. You remember in uh, John 2, it shows, he tells his mother, my hour has not come. Well, his hour had not come because he was still only ministering uh, or was at that time only with Jewish people. Right. His, his, his um, mission, I don't feel like that's a good enough word, but his reason for coming, his purpose for coming was to not only have the Jewish people and their covenant fulfilled, but to also graft in us who were strangers to the covenant to now become covenant people. Right. And um, we know this because in the covenant of Abraham, that would be the fulfilling. He said to Abraham in um, in Genesis 15, I believe it is, he said that, that the strangers, uh, in 15, 13, he said, then he said to Abraham, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land. Well, this is talking about the Jewish people being strangers in Egypt, but it's also talking about us being strangers in the land of the kingdom. We were strangers because we had not been brought into covenant. We were strangers because we weren't a part of the fulfilling. God God was um, was a God of the Jews. Hmm. And by faith you could receive that. But this was the fulfilling of the covenant that no longer um, was it unacceptable for us to come to a feast. Because we were about to be grafted in to be part of that family. And so he says, my hour has come. He knew that the time had come to transition this thing from um, being of one one single group of people to now being available to the whole world. Right. And so um, he then transitions that to the place where um, we see in John 13 that he washes the feet of his disciples. And what great significance this has because he tells them by the washing of the feet, how beautiful are the gospel of those, or how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. And he's washing their feet, creating a new priesthood of those who will go out and preach the gospel. And we see that these disciples here um, are preaching not only to Jewish people, but but Peter has a vision that now he's to preach to Gentiles as well, to non-covenant people. So they're creating this new priesthood of those who will minister the entire gospel um, that we have been restored back to who God created Mm -hmm. us to be, not only for one individual sect of people, but for the whole world. Right. The the New Testament um, doesn't really start till mid to late Gospels. (laughs) Right, right, where where it encompasses everyone. Right. Absolutely. And we see even um, the way that Jesus preaches begins to, mm-hmm. it's begins to change. It's different from the beginning. Yeah. We see that he begins to shift from what is the first covenant, and I think the appropriate term is first covenant because uh, I don't believe it's been completely done away with, right. um, to the new covenant. 
what is available to us and what is our covenant. Yeah, and it's not a replacement theology. It's a, I mean, the Jews are still the chosen people of God. But, um, you know, it's just kind of like he invited everyone to the party. Yeah. Yeah. He wanted to restore everyone. Mm -hmm. And so um, we see then that he goes to have the Last Supper, which I'm I'm not going to focus too heavily on that because the truth is I could get pretty long-winded on it. But we see that he is representing that now this body, this this flesh body that I've taken on as God, is now your body. Right. And this this flesh blood that I have running through my veins is now your blood. And no longer do you have to um do you have to align yourself with the dying ways of a human body. But instead, you can align everything that you believe with this body that I'm sacrificing for you. You can align yourself with this body that I'm giving for you. And you can align yourself with this blood that I am giving for you. And that by this blood, you have a complete redemptive power that that sin and shame can no longer stand in way of who I've called you to be. As the original, and not who I've called you to be just as an individual, but who I called you to be when I created you in the garden mm-hmm. as Adam. And and even better, because when he created Adam, Adam had the ability to fall to a place away from God. We have Jesus, mm-hmm. who already redemptively paid for that. So when we mess up, we aren't going to fall and be separated right. like he was. He's already paid for all of that. It's so, so amazing uh, that we see all of this playing out here. And so we see after the Last Supper, um, or during the Last Supper, Judas leaves. And that's when he goes and makes the trade. Right. 30 pieces of silver. Which is the cost of a slave. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he goes and pays that to them. And one thing we see with Judas is... He had made a covenant with them before he had ever went and made the covenant with Jesus at that table. Yeah. This is the instatement of that new covenant. This is when all of the fulfillment, Jesus was the fulfillment of all of those things. Every name of God that he provided to every person in, in what we call the Old Testament, every Every name that he had provided to them was fulfilled in the name of Jesus. Every covenant that he had given to them was fulfilled in the name of Jesus. And I know I've said that to you multiple times, but I want you to see how important it is to recognize all that he did here to fulfill that. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. Well, he, I mean, he was praying um, because he knew what he was about to take on. And he, of course, uh, in my Bible here that I have in front of me, it's, uh, you know, he was praying for strength. And um, he says uh, in Luke twenty two forty three, 43, uh, kneeling down, he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup of agony away from me. But no matter what, your will must be mine. So he knew that he was going to do what the Father willed. He knew that was his plan all along. Yeah. So, um, you know, then he, I mean, he was praying so deeply and, and the stress of what was about to happen, 
was so great that he started bleeding. Um, you know, his sweat turned into the blood, blood, drops of blood. Of course, Judas brings the the temple guards and, um, you know, the whole story of the... I mean, they brought hundreds mm-hmm. there to capture him um, because they knew that he had power. Yeah, they've been looking for him ever since um, he resurrected Lazarus. Yeah. So they bring him. Obviously, uh, Judas betrays him with a kiss. Uh, but when, when they ask him... Uh, if he was Jesus and he says, I am, right? Yep. And then that blew all the, all the soldiers to the ground. <laughs> but not only did it blow all of them to... Blow might be... Yeah, that's a... Crazy word, yeah. but... Um, not only did it knock all of them to the ground, but that power was so great that they believe a boy was actually resurrected when that power went forth. Mm-hmm. That's how strong that power of I am is. That I am right there is, is the name that fulfills all those other yeah, names. Yeah, that was multidimensional when he said that. So amazing. Yeah. So they're all knocked to the ground, and then they come. Uh, he chops off. Uh, Peter, Peter chops, chops off. That guy's ear, and Jesus yeah. miraculously heals it that right was, there. That was the last miracle Jesus did, healing miracle that he did. Wow. Healing a captor. All these people is who Jesus is dying for. Right. Throughout the whole story, everyone that is treating him um, the way they did, uh, you know, torturing him and, and, you know, just blaspheming him. And they, they are the people that he is dying for. Right. It's amazing. It is. And so they take him back and we see that I mean, the torturing just doesn't stop. And no. Uh, right at the beginning, I mean, he goes with the temple guards, and they're, they're playing games with him. Um, they're beating him. They're putting a blindfold on him. And, uh, you know, they're hitting him across the, the face and telling him to prophesy. They're mocking him. Right. And just blasphemous, um, you know, vile thing. I mean, these guys are guards, yeah. you know. They're, they're used to dealing with. The riffraff and yeah. yeah, and so they're not holding back. No, um, and and they and they were familiar with Jesus. There's a toughness about people who work in those environments where they callous mm-hmm. to certain things, and so um, things that would maybe normally hurt the heart of someone who's operating in the normal public is not the same. I mean, we see that even with. Um, I mean, take prison guards today. I mean, right? They're like you said. They they have to they have to yeah. callous themselves. Right, and they're they're working with people who are calloused. Mm-hmm. So they aren't. I mean, most most prison guards who are in um, maximum facilities are working with people who are calloused themselves. That's why they are able to just you know kill people on the drop of a dime or or they do torturous things to people they they don't feel emotion when those things happen i'm thinking about that guy uh, that i heard the story about whose life was changed for jesus and he was he was a gangster in yeah. uh, the chicago area and he said it wasn't it wasn't anything for me to kill someone right. and it wasn't because he was calloused well these guards would be the ones who care for these calloused people so they're calloused as well mm-hmm. and so like you said they were they were playing games at Jesus's expense so 
the guards take Kai, uh, they take him to an illegitimate meeting uh, with the Sanhedrin. And so the head priest, Caiaphas, was a Sadducee. And the Sadducees did not believe in the miraculous. So everything that Jesus stood for, I mean, he had a miracle ministry, right? Every, everywhere Jesus went, he performed miracles. But the Sadducees didn't believe, uh, they spent their whole time debunking the miraculous. They spent their whole time, even the Old Testament stories, um, you know, all the, all the things that God had done for the Jews, Jewish people, they always wrote it off as almost like fairy tales or anything like that. So they hated Jesus and his ministry. So they bring him in the dead of night, which was against, especially at that time, uh, was against uh, Jewish law. Um, and there was about a hundred uh, people with elders and scribes and priests in there. And they uh, pretty much did a trial for Jesus that was already determined in their minds. They brought false witness against uh, against him. But the thing is that they they couldn't ever prove or corroborate any of the stories so he was going to go free, but then finally Caiaphas asked him, uh, under oath of God, uh, are you the son of, son of God, or do you believe yourself the Christ? And of course Jesus said, yes. And if he hadn't have said anything, he would have been let go. But this is, uh, you know, just another example of nobody took Jesus's life. Jesus gave his life freely. And he was so willing to do it for you. Yeah. He was so willing to, I mean, he, so he, like we had just talked about, all the stuff he'd already went with the temple guards, all the things that were to come. We know because he sweat great drops of blood in the garden mm -hmm. just having the conversation about it. He knew the things that were about to come. Yeah. Uh, maybe not the extent and experience them in his flesh, but... I believe there was a knowing that he had of the torment that he was going to have to yeah. go through. I mean, they he sat there silent against his accusers. And they again blindfolded him and started hitting him and saying to prophesy. I mean, there's a hundred guys there. And the and the thing is, the guy that, um, I, I always forget his name, but uh, that had his ear cut off in the garden was actually the assistant. Malchus. Yeah, Malchus was the assistant to Caiaphas, the high priest. So he was likely there if there was a meeting of the Sanhedrin. So he was there having just had a miracle uh, ear brought back. And they they took him, they they beat him. A uh, hundred guys took turns hitting him and, and again blindfolded, asking him to prophesy. They they uh, spit on him. So, and it's not, it's a forceful spit. And at that time, spitting was the ultimate uh, disgrace, yeah. uh, ultimate sign of uh, disapproval. But the thing was, when every time they hit him and every time they spit on him, they, you know, they, they weren't just doing that to Jesus the man, they were doing that to the anointing. Yeah. And he took all of that, all of that disgrace, all of mm -hmm. that shame, all of that payment for your freedom on the other side of it. That's right. It says in, uh, man, it makes my heart hurt. It says in uh, Hebrews that for the joy that was set before him, he was willing to do all of this. And you were the joy that was set before him. 
You were the reason that he went through all of this for that covenant to be fulfilled. You were the reason that he pressed through every moment of this torture. Yeah. And um and this is just part of it. We haven't even got no, to it's not it just got started. Yeah. We haven't even got to the part as it goes further and That's just they, the first day. They passed him from person to person, yeah. torment upon torment of of doing things and we may continue some with, with this um in the future but i i want you to see that all of this and this is why i think it's so important is is we look at the old testament and we look at how these people had relationship um with god how david had relationship how moses had relationship how abraham had relationship but the truth of the matter is that that god loved you you so much yeah that jesus went through all of this so that it could be an even greater relationship he had with you. Yeah. How can he say that? Because the word the word says even better covenant that he would have. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that as he was going through all this and on the cross that he saw every single person that he was dying for. And and he found it worth it. He mm-hmm. found you worth it. And so that's why I don't want to take light of this. Mm-hmm. I know um uh, it can be a a gruesome and um graphic thing to go through this every year. Yeah. Um uh, which unfortunately I think we only look at it really uh, in depth, you know, this time of year, unfortunately. But I think if if you look at it, I mean, there's so much deeper than just your your Sunday morning uh, Sunday school uh, yeah. story. And when you get that, it becomes real to you. And it it makes you, or I want it to make you, less tolerant of the enemy's games. Mm -hmm. If Jesus paid for this, why would I tolerate the enemy treating me this way? That's good. I don't don't have to. I don't have to uh, live in a place of shame. I don't have to live in a place where sin dominates my life. Because this man, Jesus paid for so much that I refuse to tolerate any trash that the enemy would try to put my way. I refuse to live in shame. I refuse to live a life where I'm embarrassed or in fear or of rejection because this man Jesus loved me enough that he wouldn't reject me. This man Jesus loved me enough that he would take all kinds of shame and disgrace and he paid for all of this so that I could be victorious. Amen. And so um, I believe we're going to wrap up right here. So Father, I pray over each and every one of these individuals who are listening that they would identify that you have paid so much for us that it it isn't a simple thing that you that you went through all of this and hung on the cross, Father, but it was so detailed and so intimate. And those moments that you have where you were where you were tortured and you were taken, Father, that you didn't you didn't do those things so we would suffer, but you did those things so that we would live victoriously. You took the suffering and the shame and the pain so that we could live victoriously and who you've called us to be. 
those who were created in your likeness. And so, Father, I thank you for a new revelation of that today. I thank you, Lord, for a new witness of that today. And I thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is active in helping us today to recognize who we are and that today we are victorious. Yeah.